Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Brighton Rock podcast. It's me and Peter as usual. Hi, Pete. Hey, Russ. And we have three other people in the pod squad today, two of them debutants. We'll come to them in a second. First of all, hello again to Andy Bravery, who is back. How are you, Andy? All good? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, I'm fine. Excellent. And those aforementioned debutants are Andy's friend and Panis fan, Rob. I think it's Rob Donovan, isn't it? Look at your screen. Hello, Rob. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, we're we're getting you on in the uh, the run-up to the big Palace match coming up on Monday. Plenty to chat about on that subject in just a moment. But also, firstly, to welcome Peter Richardson, who, uh, for the benefits of avoiding confusion, we're going to call Pete and my co-host Peter today. So, Pete, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks uh, thanks for inviting me on. You have invited me on before, and I've always been busy. Um, yes, yeah, glad to 100, 115 shows in the year. Exactly. Finally got you on. Uh, Pete, as with uh, Peter and Andy and I are all Seagulls Over London members, so that's how we know you. And we'll uh, find out a little bit more about how you came to know the club first, uh, first off with your Albion story in a moment. But seeing as it's a Palace preview, should we start with you, Rob? Tell us about how you came to have such terrible taste in football teams <laughs> uh, when you first started supporting Palace. When, when uh, does it go back to your childhood, I'm assuming? It does. Uh, believe it or not, um, I, was, uh, I was born in 79 and my family weren't really into football. So when it was on TV, the rare occasions, I was actually really into Liverpool. I, I loved John Barnes and loved it. Um, but I had a godfather. I know that sounds menacing, but I had a godfather that came. And he, he used to rip it out of me for not supporting my local team and have a massive go at me. Um, and so eventually I relented. And that was about 89. And a year later, Palace were in the FA Cup final. So I was hooked and well and truly sold with Ian Wright, Mark Bryant. And since then, I've been a season ticket on and off, um, dipped in and out when I've had kids and stuff. But I go with my two eldest boys regularly for the last four or five years now. Yeah, I've got to say at this point now, having, having said Godfather, were you uh, persuaded with a horse's head in the bed? I have to ask. <laughs> yeah, it, it was virtually a horse's head. <laughs> it wasn't quite as sinister, but the, the, the threat was there. Yeah, I've, I've, got a, I've got a nephew who's not into football at all. So um, that's going to be a hard sell, to be honest. I took him to one game. It was a poor draw at the Amex. And that really didn't help either, to be honest. But I don't think he was that interested. But, could, uh, could have been any number of games, though. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, you might have been right. Certainly at that point in time, <laughs> I think that might have been around Sammy Hippier um, era. So, uh, yeah, not great. Um, so, yeah, so Palace fan um, lifelong. Um, how do you know Andy? Because it is through him you've come on the show today, isn't it? Um, is, is he one of your local neighbours? No, well, he manages my middle son's boys' football team, so uh, yeah. I manage uh, my eldest son and in true rebellious fashion my second son didn't want to play for the same club so he went to West Wickham where I used to play and that's Andy manages him and does a very good job I have to say. Ah brilliant excellent that's, that's good. Just, uh, just, that, just, just, well, just to add to that um, his son um, I won't name him but um, his son is a joy to manage actually and oh, um, you. you know and he's um, yeah he's a, he's a joy to, to manage and um, and we see I mean obviously with lockdown it's been a bit harder but we've seen a lot of progress with him and so um great hopes for the future and um and as for Rob I, I didn't realize until fairly recently that Rob actually was a West Wickham player in his younger days so um in some ways I think it's um it's only appropriate that at least one of his uh, sons 
you know, place for the uh, the right team in the West Wickham area. Yeah. yeah, I have to say, I do, I do love that club. So yeah, yeah, it is. It it really kind of gets you. I mean, I don't have the I don't have the history, but um, I'm well ensconced with it now, and um, I just love everything about grassroots football, really, and. You know, that club runs sort of six adult teams and, and probably eight to ten youth teams now, you know, and a, and a massive um, academy. So, you know, kids from the age of four or five upwards can be playing football on a, on a weekend and it's just lovely to watch and hopefully we'll be back doing it soon. Brilliant, good stuff. Yeah. And, and just, uh, Rob, in terms of growing up then with your first games who who were the who were the players just to get a sense of the time who were the players you were looking up to at the time in terms of Palace um what era are we talking there so when I first got addicted it was the Ian Wright Mark Wright John Salako um and then I was too young to go to games by myself and say my dad wasn't interested so I was was kind of reliant my sister um was dating a guy who's a big Palace fan so she used to go a lot and they used to take me so it was then on to the Lombardo era um Oh yeah, worshipped him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all that era really where I was growing up. Yeah, so so actually, on one hand, you um you did you did have quite good teams to go and see at that at that point in time because yeah. they were they were riding high either in the one of the top two flights at the time, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I don't know if you know, we, we I tried a, a random bid to get Ian Wright on the show, which was never ever going to work. Just sending out a message on Twitter, <laughs> probably, in fact, almost certainly didn't even read it. But um, I don't know if you know the story about Ian Wright. He actually had a trial with the Albion before uh, joining, um, before joining you guys. I'm not sure if it was directly before or not. But um, yeah, he was pretty gutted at the time not to get signed up. Little did we know what would happen with his future career at the time, obviously. Um, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny you should mention that because I did know that. Because going back to the West Wickham Football Club and when I played, he actually came and presented a trophy. I actually got, um, I think it was most improved player that year. But in the preamble, our manager at the time had obviously done a lot of research and had gone through his history and just completely embarrassed him. But he mentioned the Brighton stuff, and he didn't go down too well at West Wickham. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Nice one. Um, so, yeah, um, as I said, it's just the five of us, no Ian Wright, but we do have Pete with us as well. So your debut on the show, as we always do traditionally, ask you your Albion backstory. When and where did you get into the football? And whereabouts are you from originally as well, specifically? Well, obviously it was my father, um, as, as often is the case. He was He's Brighton born and bred. Um, yeah. My mother came from Worthing. And they got married at a very young age, then moved to Bognor Regis. So I sort of grew up, was educated, miseducated, whatever, in Bognor Regis. So um, my father, uh, I think he went to his first game when he was six, he says, which would have been around about 1948, 1949. Um, He went a lot. And he, interesting stories, he sort of fell out with his father when he was about 16. And he went into you know, digs, beds it um, in Neville Avenue, which is not very far away from the Goldstone ground. And yeah. what happened was that the, the Albion used to take apprentices on and they used to put some um, apprentices also in the same digs as him. So he knew a lot of the up and coming players and they were his drinking mates. Um, as the years went on, he, he knew the chairman, which was, um, I think it was, um, was it Brian Bedson, I think in the day. Yeah, he was a TV aerials guy, and he owned. He was the chairman uh, before Mike Bamber. He knew him very well. So there's a lot of 
lot of connections there. And he's got quite a lot of stories, a lot of sort of drinking stories and football-related stories um, where, you know, he even was out drinking with um, um, Bobby Smith when he when he signed and after that. Because Bobby, unfortunately, had a lot of gambling debts. And Brighton said, we would clear them if you come and play for us. And I think we were the lowest league then, weren't we? So it's like signing Alan Shearer today, isn't it? In those lower leagues. And um, one of the stories was my, my father... Um, probably because in the old days, you know, the clubs used to get FA Cup tickets. Um, so he went to the FA Cup final in 1970 between Chelsea and Leeds. You know, that famous, I, yeah. think, the replay, I think the replay was tougher than the, than the original <laughs> game, but it was yeah. more, more of a game of rugby as opposed to football. But he was there. He was, there. He was, he was in a pub with um, some mates and Bobby Smith before the game. And... Um, I think somebody from the BBC saw Bobby Smith and said, oh, the pundit we were going to have isn't coming or something. Can you come and be the pundit? And he said, yeah, sure. So obviously Bobby had a ticket and he was in this pub and he said, so he shouted out to the pub, does anybody want my ticket? And, you know, obviously he was, Bobby was notoriously short of money for his gambling debts and he was still a big gambler. And he said, um, and I think some Chelsea guy said, yeah, I haven't got a ticket. I need a ticket. And he said to the guy, how much will you pay for it? And the guy said, uh, you know, I'll give you £10 or something. I don't know what the ticket was in those days. Let's say it was £4 or something to get in. And the guy said, I'll give you 10 And Bobby said, no, that's not enough. And he said, OK, I'll give you 20 And Bobby said, it's not enough. And then the guy said, I'll give you 30 for it. And Bobby said, it's not enough. And then I think the guy got to £50 and he was on his knees begging for it. And Bobby said, look, since you want it so much, you can have it for free. And he just gave the ticket to this guy. I think he was just trying to see how desperate he was for it. <laughs> but um, but that was, I think, mean, obviously a gambling side there to, to Bobby Smith. Yeah. But certainly, you know, my dad was offered um, England caps, you know, to buy and all those sorts of things, really. So the demons really got to, got to Bobby um, quite badly. So that was one one side of it. So my father was quite connected with the club in, in, in that respect, more of as a, as a social um you know, side member, really. So he saw a lot of games. Obviously, work and family got in the way. Uh, and as a boy, um, you know, I was allowed to support who I liked. So I, I, I had to support at school a top flight club at the time. So I, I was given a blue kit. So I decided to support Ipswich and not support Liverpool and not support Man United and Arsenal like everybody else. So I supported Ipswich for a few years. Um, but obviously my father, Brighton through and through, dragged me to my first game, which was 1976, Wrexham, at home. And we actually lost 2-0, um, interestingly. That was the year that Peter Ward scored 36. So that was that year we got promoted from the from the third tier. And I think a week last checking, actually, the week later was the um, the FA Cup against Palace with the... Um, which eventually ended up with the chalice penalty debacle. So that shows you how far back ago that was. I thought that might get so, a mention today. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'll get it. I thought I'd get it. Get it. Might as well get it in that, early. Yeah. That was that was then. So that was the that was the back end of 1976. So um, and yeah, and then uh, basically once you sort of you know you lost your sort of uh, you know virginity of going to a ground, that was it. And then um, uh, we went to not not every game, but quite a few games a year. You know, the Ipswiches and Tottenham's and Swansea's and then the top flight arrived. I remember my father being uh, bitterly disappointed when we didn't go up. 
and then very happy when we did go up. And then we saw quite a lot of top flight games. You know, I would have been in my early years. And obviously the cup run, we were, we were there at the semi. Uh, and at the final replay, we, didn't, we couldn't get tickets for the final. It was impossible to get hold of. But um, despite my dad sort of trying to bribe anyone who had one to, to give it up. But, um, but uh, yeah, but I remember we got the programme on the Saturday night and it said in there, if there's a replay, tickets were available from the box office at Wembley on the Sunday morning. So my dad was in the car, uh, you know, very early hours and off to Wembley to get the tickets. So, um, yeah, then the middle years a little bit quiet. Um, obviously, I had, to, I had to go to London to seek my fortune. Uh, jobs on the in the South weren't prevalent in the in the in the you know the early nineties. So I went to London to seek my fortune. Allard, Dick Whittington, and watched Brighton from afar. Went to some games, some games at the Goldstone, and uh, you know, obviously, I'd, I went used to go to Leighton Orient matches where we, I think, I only saw us win once and lose most of the time, and. Famously finished with nine men, I think, once. I don't, can't remember. But um, it was, uh, yeah, a little bit from afar. And obviously then we, when the Amex turned up, it was, you know, my father obviously since retired and it was, let's get down there and um, see as many games as I could. And I think I've only missed about 12, I think, in 10 seasons now. So, um, you know, sort of moved to Sussex, back to Sussex from London. So, um, you know... Yeah, it's part of my life now. Yeah, excellent. As it is for all of us. So, um, and that's it. Good. Here to stay. Yeah, here yeah. to stay forever. Now, like like the rest of us. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the, the queuing up for tickets thing, going travelling about to go somewhere. I mean, that's that's the that's the thing that's been lost, isn't it, to the uh, to the modern fan nowadays in the advent of technology and all. Um, it, it is interesting because people complain about. Oh, you know, I had to go on the website at nine o'clock and I had to, you know, I was in this virtual queue for seven minutes and then I bought these tickets. Oh, what a disgrace. I had to wait seven minutes. I was like, yeah, we didn't have to drive to Wembley <laughs> and stand that, in the queue for two hours. Even as, as recently at with Dean, when we had the, we got to the playoff final, I think people had to go and queue at yeah. with Dean, which is like, you know, as you say, unthinkable now. It's such a, you know, if you told people now that these days they have to do that, they'd be like, what? But yeah, and even back in like less than 20 years ago, that was. Yeah, a really annoying thing about that. The really annoying thing about that would be as well as that some people who'd get in the queue just got there because they could go that day, yeah. never went to another game all season. Yeah, so that was the other thing about it. It was like there was no loyalty rewarded back then. It was about who got yeah. in the queue first. Luckily, my my mate Big Phil, who's a listener to the show, hello Phil, if you're listening, uh, he, he queued up and got tickets for me and for himself, bless him, on uh, on that one for uh, for the Millennium. We're right in the back row behind the goal. I remember he cut his hand on um, celebrating the goal. There was a really low overhang on the back couple of rows. He's, his hand was bleeding like mad after we scored the winner with the penalty. But, uh, but going back to what you were saying, Pete, there are a couple of things there. Bobby Smith, I had an elderly neighbour. Uh, he died a few years ago now, but uh, he knew Bobby Smith. He's a Spurs fan from up here in Enfield. And, uh, um, yeah, he said he, he owed money at every bookies in North London. It was, it was crazy stuff. Funny, funny era, that really. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, a lot of people got into that sort of trouble. But you mentioned Worthing. My mum, my uh, first mum's from um, from Worthing, and um, in fact, on Palace uh, on on Derby Day, so to speak, when we were going to Selhurst once, there was a bunch of uh, Brighton fans on the train either end of the carriage with some Palace fans sitting in the middle. And um, uh, somehow, rather, we got onto the subject of me being originally a Worthing boy, and they were Bogner. And we had this bit of banter because there's a bit of a rivalry between the two areas, isn't there? So there's all this banter going on across the carriage and the Palace fans in the middle were going, what the hell's going on here? (laughs) Uh, But uh, no, yeah, Worthing, yeah, 
it's a, it's a stronghold, of course, for Albion fans as well. There's probably one or two Palace fans hiding around in that area as well, Rob. Um, there seem to be a lot of Palace fans in Sussex, in fact. Um, I don't know if you've got any friends or relatives down that way, especially in places like Eastbourne and places like that. There seem to be quite a few. But um, do, you, do you tend to get to the games anyway? I went, obviously, when in normal circumstances. Uh, and do you, how do you find the rivalry? Do you find it uh, just stressful and, and almost kind of dizzying in the run-up, as, as we often do, or... Are you quite relaxed about it all? I, I, to be honest, I like it. Um, I, I mean, a lot of the Palace fans I sit with and go to the pub with, we we dislike Brighton because we're told to dislike it. A lot of it's way before our time. And we kind of look forward to it, to have a team, to have a rivalry against. But I can't say that any of us actually hate Brighton. Um, a lot of us have kind of got a soft spot for them, really, in, in, in a bizarre way. It's nice, It's kind of like a a nice rival to have, a nice one game to look forward to every year. Um, but in terms of like hating teams, we hate Watford just because our recent history of Watford and how they are, that, they, they yeah. wind us up. Um, yeah, given the choice that. last year, I would rather <laughs> we were much happier that Watford went down than you guys. Because if you, if you guys got relegated, it, it, you kind of lose something. You lose that rival and I look forward to it every year, I have to admit. Yeah, I have to say, I've said it on the show before, but it's quite a few uh, Palace fans I've met, and they, they always tend to be really nice folks. If it, or, or girls, and occasions I've met girls. Mainly it's, it's been guys by chance, but um, they've always been decent fellas and really good to chat to. And I, I think Andy, who's got his hand up, wants to jump in here, has probably got something along similar lines to say, <laughs> things he lives amongst many of them. Andy, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, still, um, I'm still reveling in, like, when you were horrified, Russ, when I said that before we ever play Palace, I'd take a draw. And the reason for that was that otherwise, if we lose, the risk of losing means I have to like face it living in Croydon for like weeks and weeks after, you know. And um, as someone who was there quite quite early on, so that game you're referring to, Pete, the um, the Chalice FA Cup replay at Chelsea, I was in the um, the big Chelsea main stand that night, and um, so I've kind of gone back a long way with it, really. Um, I've always felt that it's a rivalry. It's one though that we've we've always needed more than Palace because we don't really have anybody else nearby. And it's always amazed me in some ways that Palace kind of feed into it as much as they, as they do. And I'm also one of these, I've never wanted Palace to be relegated. I've only ever wanted Palace to be in the league we're in, because what's the point of a rivalry if we don't ever play each other? Um, you know, and yeah, yeah, there have been plenty of games, yeah. plenty of times when, when one or the other has gone into the game thinking they're the one in form, they're the one who's going to win. And it nearly always doesn't turn out like that. Well, that playoffs game, we were massively informed compared to them, weren't we? And it yeah. went horribly wrong there. So. That's what I'm worried yeah. about Monday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. In a game like that, form goes, literally goes out the window. It's like irrelevant and, yeah, anything yeah. can happen. Zaha will no doubt make a miraculous recovery and somehow turn up to play and probably score <laughs> a deflected goal or something. Not that I'm bitter about previous experience or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you just know he's going to be there, don't you? He's even yeah, got definitely he's, no, he has got good powers of recovery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He has, he but, doesn't especially when you guys are playing you guys as well. It's like, it seems like he's always debate with the same last episode. He seems to always be a doubt before Brighton games, and then he always seems <laughs> to somehow be fit, you know, kind of, you know, yeah. broke, I, I broke leg, but he's recovered somehow. I half suspect on some occasions that he's not injured at all. They've yeah. just actually spun that out in order <laughs> to piss us off later on down the line. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's resting, resting, uh, resting. Uh, 
going to rest. Yeah, him exactly. Rest him for three three weeks just so he'll be hundred percent ready. I'm uh, firing, Andy. Yeah, back to you. Yeah, I've just got a couple of um, things to just uh, ask Rob about. Really, um, um, there's a lot of there's been a lot of debate now for two seasons about is you know Roy is he going or is he staying? And I, I noticed in the um, Croydon advertiser last week. He hadn't made his mind up. I was I was wondering whether you think actually it's within his gift to stay or go. Uh, I th- I think the owners are really unsure at the moment um, because of COVID. Uh, Roy gives us stability in the Premier League, um, but last season was so so dull, and this season is the same. Um, and the fans are starting to turn. Not so much on Roy. Roy's a gentleman. Love what he's done. But just the football is just so hard to watch. And we've got these great, exciting attacking players. And he just doesn't use them in an attacking way. And it's just so soul-destroying to watch. And even when you go 1-0 down, we won't change our way of playing. We'll still go defensive and then hope to bombard on the last 10 minutes. Um, but when you've got Zaha, Eze, Townsend, Ayu, Schlupp, and you don't use them effectively. I mean, it's no coincidence that we have about four or five strikers and they all just plummet in their form since Roy's come in, and you feel for them. I mean, the likes of Benteke get slagged off, but they get no service whatsoever. It's just, it's a thankless job up there. You've got some, they've got some big decisions to make, haven't they? You've got like, is it 13 players? 13, yeah. contract? And you've got, the other thing I heard the other day is you've got four players on 100k a week or more. Is that uh, right? It's, it's less than that now, because Meyer's gone. We finally got rid of Max Meyer, who was never given yeah. a chance. He was a creative player. Um, but yeah, we, we've got 13 players out of contract. And, and it's, it's kind of a really weird situation to be a Palace fan at the moment because I think if by some miracle, and I'm, I'm no, I don't think any Palace fan is looking forward to the game Monday, but if we do win by some bizarre chance, um, we'll, be on our, we'll equal our highest points tally after 25 games in the Premier League. So it should be a yeah. fantastic season on paper. But we're just not. And those 13 players, all of them are old. We're a very ageing squad. Um, and they know that the plan is in the summer to replace them. They're not even, they have to fight for the place to get a new contract. The majority of them will be replaced. So, and it shows in their performances. There's, there's no such thing as professional pride so much in footballers at the moment. And they are, a lot of them just phoning it in and not putting in performance. They're not dying for the shirt. And the fans are just fed up with it. Give us, give us a team that fought for survival against Hillsborough in Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. The Sean Derrys, the Clint Hills, not the most gifted, but they they fought for every challenge, every and they fought for the badge, and we haven't got that. And if Zaha doesn't play on Monday, um, which I don't think he will, he's in the gym, but I don't think he will. But not only for what he gives us, because he is our major plan A, but he's the only person that really cares about the rivalry in the squad as well. There's no one else that it, that it doesn't have the same meaning to every other player, so it is a real worry. I suppose from yeah. our point of view, we, we worry that you're going to rush him back. But I suppose you can't afford to do that, really, because he's so important that the, if you rush, rushed him back and then he got injured again and it was worse because you played just to play against Brighton, it's probably not worth it. That has, I know it's obviously the, the game of the season from a lot for fans a lot of the time, but it is only three points and you don't want to kind yeah. of lose him for longer. Yeah, and, and Roy is so pragmatic. I, I don't think he'll rush him back. Uh, Zaha will want to play it. Um, but a lot of the fans, that we love Zaha to bits completely, but he's... Um, we're so fed up that he's our main man um, and we only play one way and that's to get the ball to Zaha. Eze's come in, he's fantastic talent, but we haven't learned how to play with him yet and he's been told to be more defensive than he he knows how to be at the moment. 
And so the plan that is still to get the ball to Zaha, and we need to find a way of playing without him. So this injury's kind of come at a time where, you know, we're, we're fairly good chance. Well, we should have a good chance of staying in the Premier League. We're 29 points. We only need another six, I reckon. Um, so it is our chance to experiment. But yeah, as much as I enjoy loving Zaha, because he's the only interesting thing in terms of attacking that we've got, um, we need to learn to move on from him as well. Yeah, do you think that um, they should have sold him a year or two ago? Uh, at sort of, you'd probably call the more peak time to have sold him because it strikes me outside of looking in that the reliance is so much on Zaha. The win rate's 35% with and I think something like 11% without. So it's a massive chasm between the two. And it feels to me as if, um, much as he's a great player, and, and, you know, painful to admit though it is, he is a great player and he can turn a game. The fact is, if you've only got one player and then he gets injured, um, it's too much of a risk to bear. And if you did sell him and were able to get even even just two players, um, but probably more, say three, um, who could make a difference longer term, younger players, um, somewhere somewhere through the spine, really, say a new a new fresh young promising yeah. defender, same in midfield of a different type to Eze, for example, and then uh, and then a striker, uh, which of course is the uh, the golden fleece for everyone, isn't it? That we're struggling with as well. Wouldn't that be the way forward? Because there's also the issue of age, isn't there? It's a very aging squad. Uh, lots yeah. of players out of contract. A lot of things to me don't seem to be running as well as they should be there, which it's, is why we're so annoyed you're above us in the table. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, a pri- it's a surprise that we are. I mean, we haven't dominated a team this season at all. We've had some big wins. We've had Leeds, I think it was 4-1 that game, and West Brom, I think it was 5-1. Yeah. But both of those games hinged on decisions. The West Brom was a sending off that by today's standards is probably a sending off, but it was a harsh one. And the Leeds game pivoted on a Bamford disallowed goal, which was, I think he was pointing towards where he wanted the ball and his finger now was offside or something. It was ridiculous. Um, (laughs) And we went on to capitalise on that. But I can only think of um, Fulham that we've actually dominated and we we scraped a 2-1 there. They scored right at the end. Um, But yeah, in, in regards to the Zaha thing, in hindsight, is a wonderful thing. I think two years ago, we rated him about 90 million. We had offer for 75 million, I think it was for Everton. I think it was about that. And Arsenal were interested. Um, and that, that was a time to go. And I, I don't think any Palace fan begrudged him a big move. He deserves to move. He's, he's more than done his time for us. Um, I think we all wanted him to have one more season with us. Um, and he had a terrible season. He, it really messed with his head, that transfer. He put in a request and he had a terrible season. And he's... His value just plummeted. I think we'd be lucky to get 45, 50 million for him now. Um, and of course, part of the condition from buying him back from Manchester United is they have um, a huge chunk of the sale fee. They've got 20%. Mm. So you take that out and then out of 50 million, you're only left with about 20, 25 once you get everything paid on. So yeah, it's, it's, when you're only getting 25 million for a player like Zaha, you think, is it worth it? Well, who are you going to buy for that? You're not going to be able to replace him. So yeah, I think so that horse has bolted basically. Now. I yeah. think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, interesting. I mean, Eze is an interesting player. Um, I've rated him. I think he's pretty good. Um, as you said, if they're, if they're making him play a more defensive type of role, I, I guess on, on the one hand, that's uh, it's good that they're expanding his horizons in terms of you know elements of his game. But at the same time, in the short to medium term, you know, you you need creative talent on the pitch, especially with Zaha injured. So. 
I guess it must be pretty frustrating. I know uh, you guys as well, like what the ultras have put an open letter out this week, haven't they? And a banner outside the training ground I've been reading about. Um, quite a good, sort of eloquently worded letter, to be fair. I, I read it. I'm, I won't read it all out here. Um, it's online if people want to read it, but, um, it seemed pretty well worded and, uh, essentially it was sort of just emphasizing where people felt the priorities should be and where they were and and how expressing how unhappy everyone is at the moment so yeah. it does seem like the natives are very restless in general with that is that across the board uh it is and the ultras a lot of the fans have a love and hate relationship with the ultras um mm-hmm. the, the, they do amazingly good for the club and the atmosphere they generate has been fantastic and sellers wouldn't be sellers without the ultras um every now and then they do a statement like this sometimes you kind of cringe and you groan um, but this particular one, they, they, I think they've hit the nail on the head for the majority of the fans, and, and it's exactly how the majority of fans are feeling. Yeah. Did, did anyone break into the training room of pyrotechnics as well while they were there? Just have to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm glad they've got out of that habit. <laughs> I had to get that one in, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, in terms of um, the rivalry, I mean, for, for the Peters, I mean, uh, Pete first, I mean, going back, obviously, the same sort of era, Andy and I, um, what's your memories of the previous encounters? Have you got any colourful tales to tell from games past? Uh, not so much with Palace. Um, hmm. You know, certainly in my in my younger day when I was a boy, you know, I used to remember, uh, you know, lines of policemen standing outside the Goldstone. Um, yeah. I think we went to a Chelsea game. I think, you know, there was just like it must have been the whole of the police of Sussex must have been there. I think all lined up, you know, arm not not locking arms, but arm to arm for hundreds and hundreds of meters. You know, just as a show of force, really, to say, look, you know, if there's trouble, you got um, got us to come piling in as well. You know, that was in the you know the seventies and early eighties when trouble was commonplace. Um, so I certainly have memories of you know being protected by my father. Um, hmm. You know, I don't think he wanted to punch in the face as much as the next man, but um, he was trying to protect me a little bit. But uh, but uh, not, you know, certainly from the Palace angle, I never I never went to any of the Palace games as, as a boy. My father used to go, but I wouldn't. Um, I remember once we got dropped off at my grandparents, and we took my mum to, to to one of the Palace games, and I think we. we I think we won 2-0 or something, I can't remember. So he was quite happy about that one. But um, yeah, I was always sort of shielded from those. I think I think the expectation of trouble um, was always on the horizon, whether it actually happened or not at the game, because those games are probably over-policed like they are today. Um, so yeah, I, wasn't, I didn't really start, didn't start seeing Palace live until, until the Amex, really. It's obviously we were in different divisions for, for a while. Um, so I certainly remember all the battles we've had home and away since over the last 10 years and you know and the great goals from Lopez those sorts of things and obviously that fateful night when we um, didn't do it in the playoffs and I was very depressed for uh, a long while yeah. I drove back to London and there was roadworks at Handcross and it took me like two and a half hours to get home as well on the mid-evening yeah, I drove the, back from that game as well I probably got caught in the same jam last episode oh, yeah on the last episode, I had uh, Rich, um, I made Rich on the show, and I drove him back after the game that day, and both at the station at Falmer to get off to where we parked the car in Lewis, and um, and also then on the journey, it was it was weirdly and eerily silent. It was quite surreal, actually. 
it's probably the most surreal thing I've ever experienced at football, being surrounded by about a thousand people with virtually no noise. It was it was really quite something. But I'd forgotten about the roadworks. You're right, there were, weren't there, that day as well? Yeah, I got in at half. Even I worse. think I got in at half two, or I can't remember what time yeah. I got in. It was it was it was late, and I was grumpy. You know, if we'd won that game and, and we were facing the playoff final in, in uh, you know two weeks' time, it would have been. Uh, um, yeah. Being caught in roadworks wouldn't have been wouldn't have been too much of a bother, but <laughs> and getting in exactly. in the small hours. But as it was, it was it was a double a double whammy of depression. <laughs> and, yeah, I know um, that Lopez game was uh, was something up. That was the one with the early kickoff, wasn't it? I think because um, yeah, I think it was a lunchtime kickoff. Yeah, yeah. but um, it got it got very messy in the afternoon. I went out drinking with a mate of mine, and we absolutely hammered. I can't I can't even remember how much we had to drink, but it was it was quite a day, I have to say. That one. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, Andy, back to you, sir. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a slightly different feel. I'm also, I didn't enjoy losing that game, but I walked away and looked back and thought, well, we've still got a home, we've still got the Amex. But my mood changed somewhat when I then heard Gus Poyet's comments after the game and about the glass ceiling. And then I was furious oh, yeah. from then on with him. Because if there's one thing we didn't need after losing 2 0 at home to Palace was him going on about his own bloody agenda that day. That was the day, yeah. really, I think, that um, I lost a bit of love for Gus. I lost a little bit of love that day. Yeah, because he, he'd often said stuff that basically emphasised his, his agenda, didn't he? I would love to manage yeah. uh, Leeds one day and my country one day and this and that. Yeah, yeah. fair enough, those are our ambitions. But he just yeah. seemed to mention them all the time. The irony being, he did stay with us a fair while, actually. Yeah. Uh, a lot more than other managers who haven't. You know, and Brighton, as, as Big Knight told us, that you know when he, when he signed for us as manager, you know, he saw it as a stepping stone. Fair enough. I just don't want to hear about it when when our rivals up the road have just knocked us out the um you know the the playoffs yeah. at home. Just don't want to hear about it. It's a yeah. like, Shut up, Gus. <laughs> Shut up. And leave Not the moment. Not like the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob was smiling away though, when we, especially when we were talking about the um the journey back from uh, uh to London and all that other stuff, grinning from ear to ear. And while, while we're mm-hmm. on the subject, we might as well get another one out of the way. Of course, there is the elephant in the room. It was that five nil game, which. Was the was the game we we're talking about the rivalry being in the same division and and that's important to have that because we've missed a number of years haven't we and and that was the game I think the first time we played you guys Rob for I don't know how many years it was but quite a few years I think um, in anything meaningful anyway and um, obviously to to get to that game it was, it was crazy policing that day I remember I, I met up with some friends some who were going to the game some who were going shopping who weren't, weren't into football. Uh, the, you know, the wives and girlfriends and that sort of thing. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but that's actually what <laughs> what it was about. Um, and there was, I think, three of us. I took a couple of mates who are not Brighton fans as such um, to the game. Uh, one sort of like a surrogate fan. The other one is a um, is a Darlington uh, mate of mine. Uh, so I'll come and have a look and see what the rivalry is all about. And it was absolutely insane. Um, Victoria Station, we ended up stuck in a pub with a load of Brighton troublemaking looking guys. I thought, oh, this is, this is awkward. We managed to get out, talk our way out of the police cordon so that we could avoid being kettled in with them. Um, got on a train. The train stopped where there's hundreds of tracks across near Clapham, waiting for ages to the point where we we're worrying we're going to miss the game. Finally got to this, one of the stations. I think it was Thornton East. And, um, and then discovered that all of the people we tried to avoid had got past us on another kettle train and were now being held at the station. So we got stuck with them all anyway. There was police helicopters, there was vans the entire length of the away side where the, uh, where the fans go in the whole way up the 
of the road to protect the houses, I presume. Um, it's sort of nose to tail. Um, very surreal. And we've been marched along. You can smell weed in the air, which is not a very football match day smell, to be honest. So I'm not sure what that was all about. And people looking horrified standing in the window of Sainsbury's where they couldn't get out while all these hordes of, um, well, quite edgy looking characters, I have to say, on that particular occasion were coming to the game. So that, that was a bit of an eye opener after many years away from the derby. It's calmed down since, I think. Um, because there was quite a bit of trouble that day, I think, as well. But um, it's it's uh, the the thing that's obviously the enduring memory of that is is losing five nil thanks to Andy Effing Johnson and Rob. Far away, tell us about it. Were you at that game? Uh, I wasn't at that game actually. Oh. No, but uh, I remember Gave it watching a big it. Build up. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. Um, I was I watched it in a pub. I was in a pub, um, and we, we, uh, what what can you say? It's a fantastic game. It's Magic Hadrick. Magic hat trick by AJ, and it just that's what birthed um, a chant that we always bring out when we play you since. But yeah, it was it was just really nice to play you after all that time, and to get that kind of result was just something dreams are made of for a Palace fan and nightmares for you guys. Absolutely, Peter, would you agree with that? Yeah, I was say this, that was like actually my first Brighton Palace game because I started watching it beginning the 90s. Obviously, Palace were in the top flight. We then went from the Championship downwards. Um, and obviously hadn't played them. So it was like the first time that I'd see, been to, to sell us to see Albion. And it's the first time, yeah, my first, you know, get experienced the rivalry. And it was horrendous. I mean, I seem to remember it being like five nil after an hour and, and Paul Brooker having been sent off. And it was like, I think, I seem to remember one of the with Dinier DVD, maybe or something like that. Paul Rogers saying that Koppel sent him and maybe Simon Roger on and said, just don't let this get out of hand sort of thing. And we, we somehow, it, it could have been a lot worse. We somehow held on for the last half hour. And it was the end of our 12-match, lots of great losses as well. And it was just, yeah, awful afternoon. And, and then we got kept in afterwards as well, just to add insult to injury. So we got kept in for like 20 minutes in, in like, yeah, halfway. And it was like, yeah, I don't think anything about that afternoon that was in any way okay. It was all horrendous. Yeah, we've had we've had better times since, certainly, I have to say. We'll get on to that as well, probably, in a bit. But um, back to you, Andy. Yeah, so at that point in time, I was actually working for Croydon Council, which is much more of a Palace bastion than Bromley Council, which seems to have more than its fair share of Millwall fans. And there was a guy there who was um he was a he was a deputy manager in a residential unit. And then for about the next six to nine months, whenever he phoned me up, bearing in mind I was a manager at the time, he used to refer to me as five nil. <laughs> <laughs> he used to say, Is that you five nil? 5-0, needs to talk to you about so-and-so, 5-0. It wouldn't even use my name. It took about six to nine months for him to stop doing that. So, yeah, that's why sometimes I'll go with a draw, you know, rather than a defeat. But, yeah, that was a shocking day, shocking day. From from the minute a couple runs out and all their fans are, are cheering him to the minute that we're told that we're being locked in after the game. But don't worry, Palace fans, all the bars... The, all the bars have been restocked with beer and you can carry on drinking. Oh, yeah. From the beginning that, to the yeah. end, it was a nightmare. And then I had to yeah. endure that for another nine months afterwards. So yeah. there you go. D- doing yeah. the double, certainly just to redress the balance for Alpine fans listening, um, uh, was certainly much more pleasurable, particularly with Knockout having uh, escaped a, what should have definitely been a red card in the first, yeah. what was it, the first five seconds or something, yeah. um, and I going on to score a delicious point. Of it. They went out going, keep calm heads, guys, keep, you know, keep it calm, don't do anything <laughs> yeah. silly on. Don't get too carried, carried away. away. Watching <laughs> Doctor does that, and kind of thinking, what on earth did you just not listen to what I, I said? Yeah. <laughs> on, on the, um, what I've colourfully referred to as the St. Patrick's Day massacre, the, the 3-0 game, um, that that was um, 
I think the game where a mate of mine, Beanie, who is in the West Upper, same place as us, conspired to miss all three goals despite being at the game, uh, which is quite impressive. Uh, this is all to do with beer juicy. I think, um, I can't remember the exact time of the goals. I think we. They either had scored... a time, I think. There were five minutes before two of them. And then... Yeah, it was something like five before. So he went to try and beat the queue, thinking nothing would happen, and we scored. Came back, sort of, uh, one, okay, well, I might as well just get back in the queue then. Went back, and then I think we scored a second one, didn't we? And then he ended up still drinking. Uh, just past kickoff the second half and missed that as well. I did start a song about him. I can't remember it now. But that's that's actually quite that impressive, is isn't it? Three goals in one game. That is, you know, you're not <laughs> early or late, slightly or whatever, then you know, to get to go to half-time is one thing. My dad has a story. One of his mates is a bit like that. They went to watch England-Turkey in the early 70s at Wembley. So they travelled all the way up there. And his mate Lou um, used to like a drink. So he left apparently like 15 minutes or so before half time, came back, got him back into the um, crowd about 15 minutes into the second half. England won the game 7 0, and he only saw two goals. <laughs> <laughs> All because he'd rather have a drink. All that way for that. You might have to take the pub ready in that situation and watch the game, mightn't you? <laughs> and he yeah, could that yeah. MP. I'm not sure that was quite as, oh. as uh, available back in the uh, yeah, early 70s. Of course, yeah. yeah. That is something else. Good grief. <laughs> have you, uh, I mean, the, the, the talk about rivalries, the only other rivals of sorts we have is Portsmouth, isn't it? There's a bit of an edge with that one, South Coast and everything. And uh, I remember that was the only time I've left a game early on the insistence of my twitchy mate who, who, who wanted to go. And we it was nil-nil. Um, I can't remember which year it was, 80s, I think. Um, and we left. And we are going down the stairs just outside the north stand of the Goldstone. And sure enough, we scored. Ran back to the top to confirm, yeah, definitely it was a goal. Oh, thanks, Dave, you absolute idiot. Walked off. We just got to the corner of the uh, the Goldstone, heard another roar go up. I thought, 2-0. <laughs> um, it wasn't the final whistle. We scored again. Um, so um, that was, yeah, ever, ever since then, I've said never again. I'm not going to leave early. Even West Ham, when we, we got off to as pretty much as bad a start as that Palace 5-0 game, I think yeah. it ended up 6-0, didn't it, that match? Yeah. Um, there was homophobic abuse, people throwing tea down from the upper or people complaining to the police and they were blanking them. We were 3-0 down after 10 minutes. So that was the one time I was sorely tempted. Other, I think, from that memory of that away end. It was like actually was that in the away end fighting each other as well. It was all pretty nasty. Yeah, that was horrible. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But um, anyway, we'll take a very quick break here before we come back for a shorter second part where we'll just talk about the game itself coming up on Monday and um, possibly throw in a couple of bits of footy news. So stay tuned, guys, back in just a moment. So, yes, part two. And let's talk about one or two other things before we get on to the, uh, the Palace match coming up on Monday. One thing we haven't mentioned at all yet, what you just mentioned off air, is uh, Glenn Murray, of course. Uh, legend for the Albion, uh, one of our top scorers ever. In between which, of course, he had a little bit of a holiday up in uh, South London um, for a while. And in fact, is from what I heard this morning, actually, on Sky Sports News, I think he still holds the record for the... Uh, championships high scorer in one season. I'm not sure if that's, um, presumably that's under its current format because we've just mentioned Peter Ward, I think, in one season might have scored more. But, but Murray scored 30, I think, didn't he, for you in your, uh, like that was in that promotion season, wasn't it, actually? Yeah. Because yeah. he, was, he was injured for the playoffs, but he'd scored 
30 goals yeah. during the season. Something Ivan Tony is uh, is gunning for at the moment with 24 goals already. And he, he said he wants to beat the record. Um, but Murray, fantastic player, old school striker. He's all about position, timing, uh, just a good quality finisher, good brain on him. Not exactly electric pace, but um, he served both clubs well. Obviously, he's been with us longer. Um, but go to you first, Rob. Uh, what's your what's your views on Murray? Oh, d- d- love him. He's just a fantastic player. We were, we were gutted when Pardew got rid of him. Um, just, yeah, we, there was no reason to get rid of him. And um, growing up, I was um, used to watch Teddy Sheringham and commentators used to always talk that he wasn't the fastest player, but his brain gave him an extra yard of pace. And yeah. I never really understood what they were talking about. But when you watch a player like Glenn Murray, it completely applies to him. He's just, his positional sense is awesome. Um, my favourite goal, or one of my favourite goals that um, we've ever scored is on the Chris Ball night where we came back from 3-0 at Liverpool and it was the, the third goal and uh, the ball was chipped in and Glenn Murray just chested it into the path of Dwight Gow. And that that vision and that awareness to, to chest that mm. and perfect his path just summed him up. It was, he was a great goal scorer, but he's just fantastic. And um, as I was saying off air, we used to call him... Um, for fuck's sake, just because of that clip of one of unfortunately your fans was filming <laughs> as he scored and swore and said, for fuck's sake, Murray, and he just stuck yeah. with us. And that's how he's known yeah, to us. Standard, but, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. But he's, he, yeah, he's, I can't praise that player enough. He's a fantastic player. Yeah. He's, he's done well. I, that thing about the chesting down, I mean, that, that's the thing, isn't it? If you see that you can do that, then that means you can relax into executing what you're trying to do more comfortably. If you, if you see it and you're trying to bumble about thinking what to do with it and grappling for the ball, you end up, uh, not controlling it, and the, the moment's gone. So that intelligence does make a difference, doesn't it? Uh, Peter? I think the, the, the thing I agree you. is you've got to say it's very rare for a player to be so popular with two rival teams, and I think that sums up how good yeah. he is. You know, it's not often yeah. that you have a player who have yeah two rivals, but I think universally, although there's probably still one or two Albion fans who'd never forgive him for going to Palace, but universally, pretty much all Albion fans love him and all Palace fans love him, and it's yeah an amazing accolade for Murray, really. I think he's been brilliant for both of us, and I mean, for us, he's played a key part in two promotions and in keeping us up twice. And for and for Palace, he took a key part in promotion and keeping him up initially as well. So it's, I mean, he's just a fantastic player. And yeah, it's, I'm so gutted that he's yeah obviously gone now. But he's, yeah, he deserved the move. And I'm glad he's hopefully finding a permanent uh, regular football at Forest. But he, he was yeah fantastic for both clubs, I think. Yeah, of course, he's joined the uh, the Albion Masters team, hasn't he? Along with uh, Dyton Bong and um, uh, Anthony Knockhart under Chris Hewton. Yeah, the old uh, the old Albion gang back together. Andy, I mean, for me, one of the other signs of his intelligence as a, as a player is that actually sometimes he turns scoring opportunities by doing nothing, just standing still, and he loses his yeah. marker. And it's incredible how often he would do that as they're running towards the goal. He would just stop and find himself then in, in two metres of space, you know, and then an opportunity to, to take a shot at goal. And that's really clever to know when to do that and what, you know, what, when, when and where to do that. And he was excellent at that. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. On the, the, I think it's a 72 plus show that um, Football Daily are doing now on their podcast, the daily thing. Um, he's a pretty regular guest on there or, or well, probably presenter, actually. He's obviously aiming to do a lot of media. Uh, but I think he's mentioned that very point that he, he makes a deliberate point of knowing quite often standing still is is the best form of movement, so to speak, or something along those lines, he said anyway, I'm paraphrasing. But uh, yeah, absolutely. And intelligence, and as Rob said, with Teddy Sheringham, it's those kind of players who, who just utilise their assets and, 
and just phase down any any um, downsides that they've got to their game, which is, is great to see. And uh, Pete, what's your view on Murray? Is he is he our best ever striker? Would you say, for example, ever? Um, hmm. He's pushing it, surely, isn't he? He's in that debate. I mean, you'd probably say Peter Ward was more prolific. Um, yeah. Diff- a different style of player with pace and, uh, you know, and good finishing and clever finishing. You know, you probably, I'd put Peter Ward above uh, Glenn Murray, um, mm. you know, and, and I'm sure I spoke to my father about um, the past and he, he probably said that Bobby Smith was the best because he was, yeah, you know, a yeah. big, strong guy. He could, you know, <laughs> well, but it was a different game then because, you know, Bobby Smith could head the ball and the goalkeeper mm. into the goal at the same time. So it was a different game, different eras. Yeah. You know, There's also the, 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 t- the temporal element, isn't there? It's a bit like Vicente saying he's arguably our best player. If you look at him as a player um, and if you take him in his pomp, yeah, he probably is the best player we've, we've had at the Albion. But the, the player we saw wasn't, uh, wasn't that player as such. We saw flashes of it which were brilliant. Yeah. But because he was injured and he was at the end of his career and everything else, he, Bobby Smith, I know he did have, I think he had one full consistent season of prolific scoring, didn't he, with us? Um, something like that, one, one and a half years, something like that, was it? I can't remember, I can't remember the numbers, but it was, um, yeah, we scored, some, I, can't, I don't know, 100 goals and it was like, you know, some, some, something crazy, like it was shared around the team. It was like, you know, so many players have scored 20 plus goals each. It was just, you know, every, every game was, you know, scoring four or five. It probably yeah. wasn't, but that's how, it, you know, the record book seems to sort of suggest that, you know, compared to modern football where you don't get the goals, in, you know, in that number anymore, because obviously <laughs> it's a different game, but um, it was interesting. But I mean, Glenn Murray, is he up there? Of course he is, yeah. You know, yeah. and in, in a way I was, you know, part of me was a little bit disappointed he left because I would have loved to have seen him, you know, got Tommy Cook's record of whatever it was, 123 goals or whatever it yeah. is. So it would have been great to see Glenn actually overtake that record. And, and I think he only needed, you know, 15 or 18 goals or 20 goals or something, which seemed capable if he could, you know, play some games and, you know, and, yeah. and play the cup games. Maybe, you know, a couple of seasons of that, he could, have, he, could have, he could have got that record maybe. And that would, have been, that would have been great. But he wants to play regular football. He's 37, wants to play every week, wants to score goals. So, you know, fair play to him. Um, yeah, yes, he will be a legend. He was part of that promotion push, and he was part of keeping us in the Premier League. So, yeah, he's he's he's, he's a legend. Yeah, well, I did try audacious bids to get uh, completely un- unlikely to succeed to get Ian Wright and actually Clinton Morrison on, uh, neither of which were anywhere close to being successful. Clinton Morrison was, of course, playing in that McShane game, which of course is worthy of mention as well. The one 0 win at Selhurst. Um, in what was it, two thousand and five? I think it was, wasn't it? Um, did you uh, go to that game, Rob? Did you enjoy that one? Uh, no, no, that was all time when I didn't have the season ticket. But um, oh, but Clinton's a, you missed a treat. I did, <laughs> but Clinton is he, a great guy. He's um, we, the Palace. I'm sure Brighton do the same thing, but they do a play with a legend thing every summer, um, where hmm. a legend plays. And for my fortieth, I played on his team. Um, oh wow. And uh, yeah, he was just fantastic in uh, the dressing room. Uh, Darren Ambrose was there as well on the other team. Um, and uh, no, sorry, Clinton was the other team. I was playing on Darren Ambrose's team. And it's quite funny, Darren Ambrose, as a player, he would just score these amazing goals and belt it from 30, 40 yards and they would fly in. Um, but he always seemed quite lazy as a fan watching him. And in the dressing room, he actually said that I was playing centre mid with him. And he said, look, I'm not going to do any running. 
He said, give me the ball and I won't pass it to you, I'll shoot. And he was exactly like that. I thought he was joking. Even in the charity game, he was exactly like that. <laughs> um, but Clinton was on the other side. Um, um, but I was talking to him quite a lot during and after the game. And he, he was just great, even though it was just a kind of a muck around with people that just want to relive their youth or play on Celeste. He, he took it seriously. He was like kind of coaching people. And what's the interesting thing I've, um, with the, the players is they've lost, obviously lost all their pace. They're, they're well overweight. But just their, their thinking and the, the, what they're going to want to do with the ball, it just sets them far apart from even all the, the youngsters, the 18, 19-year-olds of good standard that were playing. And you could just see the difference on quality. You just you take it for granted when you're actually watching them every week and they do the simple things really well. Yeah. But just their speed of thought and what they want to do is fantastic. Yeah, the degrees of difference in quality in any sport or any activity, when you see someone who, you know, even even to somebody who would be a star player in a Sunday league team versus the rest, that's already a massive chasm. And then you think that person probably couldn't get into onto the bench for a semi-pro team or something. And, it, and you just think you go up a number of different levels beyond that yeah. before you get anywhere near the players that you're talking about there it's uh it's quite quite amazing really um but i was glad to hear um clinton morrison's a good guy he comes across that way actually on tv um so yeah the goals that allowed that day as well late on he did yeah that's probably my that's my favorite memory of the game actually because um we'd scored the goal obviously beforehand with what we thought was mcshane's head turned out to be someone's shoulder didn't it but i still won the bet for him scoring which is great i've won quite a bit of money on that game as well um but the, my favourite memory was was the the bit afterwards. Morrison broke free, but he was offside. We'd seen the flag go up early because we were directly opposite uh, where because we were at the other end of the Arthur Waits that season, weren't we? Uh, down towards the Holmesdale, so we we're in line with what had happened. We'd seen he was offside. We'd seen it been given offside, so it wasn't going to get changed. And then we saw him run in. The Palace fans were getting excited, watched him score, and then they all looked around to see us already mocking them for <laughs> for their fake hope of, of enjoyment. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was an amazing atmosphere in that game as well. The, one of the best away atmospheres I think I've been in. And um, um, obviously, if it's like that, you can't hear what Palace fans are like because you can't hear beyond the area you're in. But um, it it's, sounded it's like a, we outsung you that day as well. It's, it's it's a real shame that they've moved the fans away from that corner opposite Holmesdale. Yeah, the, the two most vocal points are the Holmesdale and the middle of the Arthur Way. So having the away fans in between just generates a fantastic atmosphere. Now where all the the away fans are down the other end of the Arthway. You've got the family stand and you've got all the away fans shouting abuse at the families yeah. and, and nothing comes back and it's just a real shame. And yeah, you just don't, yeah. don't get it at there's all just, now. Yeah, there's only one or two dads who get a bit carried away and do gestures at us and, and that's about it really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite tame. but And you can't really hear close enough the... To, to get the interaction with the, with the, I mean, there are Palace fans obviously next to where we are on the main stand, but they're not the most vociferous apart from some of them. But uh, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a shame, but uh, maybe it's probably sensible from another point of view. It could get a little bit overexcitable. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, recent games, we don't want to talk about the last game that fans were able to attend because uh, we deserve to win that game. I'm saying no more about it. We also deserve to win the game we played this season with behind closed doors. Um, where, of course, Wilfred Zaha scored the phantom penalty awards. It, um, but we came back to draw. Um, in terms of this match, well, the head-to-head is we've won 40, you've won 37, and there's been 27 draws. So we're still just ahead of you on the head-to-head. Are we going to improve that, uh, keep it evens, or are you going to gain on us in this game, Rob? What's your views on it? Do you think you can get anything from the match? So, so do you know what? Before this podcast, um, I was... 
so pessimistic. Um, I think every fan is it's the first time we're really dreading playing you guys. Um, we, we have got no expectations. I'm in a huge Crystal Palace prediction league and I don't think anyone's predicted us to win. The best is a draw. Majority think you're going to win 2-0, two, 3-1. Two um, we're, we're just not confident. The players aren't performing. They're not even... I thought after the Leeds game, we'd get a reaction against Burnley and we saw how that went. That was just atrocious. There's no Zaha. Um, and as I say, I don't, we don't overly dislike you as a team, but we do dislike Dunk. But honestly... <laughs> yes, I noticed that. <laughs> but what, what we'd give to have Dunk in our team, that kind of leadership that will get the players, will mm. not let them forget that he's a rivalry. Um, and another thing going in your favour, Monday night, Palace haven't won on a Monday night in the Premier League. I think it's like uh, nine attempts think- or something. I think we might be in a similar boat, though. Oh, really? <laughs> we might have we might have got one now. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it's not not a great night for us either. Um, well, I was, I was going to say because I'm I'm not confident oh, sorry, at all. Yeah, but until on. this podcast and all those stats, we're we're the ones that break stats. So I'm slightly mm. a bit more positive about that now because you've got the form and everything. So we we usually upset the apple cart. So I'm a little bit more positive. I mean, that, okay, that, cool. that would partly um, be my, my view on it is that often um, when, we, when, when you go into these games, even as a Brighton fan, there have been times when I thought, you know, our formatives were not going to do very well and we've come out with at least a draw. But I, I was going to ask you, Rob, um, if, if Zaha doesn't play, how will Palace, how do you think Palace will win this game? Um, I don't. If it was going to come somehow, how do you think it would come? Well, not, not it, conceding it, in the first five minutes, I guess, is the first answer, I, isn't it? I, I mean, our, our stats on that are terrible. The, yeah. the first five minutes of games and the last ten minutes of games, we we topped the charts in Premier League with goals conceded. Um, and that's just our ageing squad, I think, not being switched on. We, we haven't got a settled defence. We're having a different defence every single game. Um, what I would like to see is 4-5-1. Um, I think we'd have to pack the midfield at the moment. Our midfield, we're trying to be a bit more expansive and we're being overrun. Um we're massively missing Jimmy MacArthur and Jeffrey Sharp. Um, but I think we'd have to play Benteke up front and put um, Ayu on the left and Eze just behind Benteke. I think a lot of the fans want to see that. Um, Eze's not a left midfielder. He doesn't track back. Um, and we want to see him just have free reign. We want to see him in that Zaha role. And that's that's our key, I think. And the only other way we'll possibly win is um, Mateta. He's a bit of an unknown at the moment. Um, if mm. he gets some service. But we've got to play to Eze strengths and Benteke strengths. We don't play to Benteke. The most, you ask any um, Palace fan, the most infuriating thing about Benteke at the moment, when Sam Allardyce was in charge, he recognised his strength, which is heading the ball, and we pummeled the area with crosses. We just don't do it with Roy until about the 70th minute when he makes the sub, takes Benteke off and brings Townsend on, and then the crosses go in, which is even more frustrating. But I... It's Eze in the middle and crosses into Benteke is the only way we're going to beat you. But I think we're going to have to contain you. That's that's what we're going to do. I think it's going to have to be a... Unfortunately for the spectators, it's going to have to be a real dull game for us to win. Oh, joy. <laughs> well, hopefully it's going to be a dull game and we lose. Great. Hopefully that's not happening. Um, well, so what, you, about, you, what about Russell? I was going to say, Russ, the other thing on the stats, if, you, if, you, if you're going, if you're going to look at the stats in terms of our home wins, we're not doing another one until 2022. We only win one a year at home. If we win, we will jump ahead of Palace on the, in the table. 
goal difference. Yeah. Yeah. Goal and difference, yeah. And so. interesting it's unthinkable about four games ago. Yeah. And also yeah, um so. if they if they don't if they don't get a result, Southampton as well, which is even more unthinkable. Yeah. Considering how fl- how much they were flying earlier in the season. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 How yeah, many points do you think it'll be to be safe? Do you reckon that win will pretty much get you there? Yeah, I think mm. I think it'll be close to it. I think thirty maybe thirty two I'm looking at. I think thirty one, thirty two. That's all it's going to take this year, I think, personally. I think it depends, I don't know depends on Fulham, doesn't it? They yeah. seem to be yeah. Yeah. getting some points now, don't they? So, um, yeah. you know, I still think you've got to get 36 just to guarantee it, really. Mm. I mean, Palace will get the 36, no problem. Brighton will get the 36, no problem. Um, so I think, I think both, both these clubs well. will be fine. Burnley will be fine. Newcastle, Fulham could be between those two, I think, now. It's an interesting weekend of fixtures. I think it's Fulham got Sheffield United, so they're playing each other. West Brom have got Burnley, haven't they? I think. Have they got yeah, Burnley? that's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there's some interesting fixtures this weekend. Yeah. A lot of board draws. I want them to win those, or at least not lose. Fulham and West Brom. I don't. I don't I mean, Sheffield United, West Brom. I think they. We probably want results for them at the weekend. Hmm. Yeah. True. You almost want. Yeah, you kind of Fulham. Well, they drew with Burnley last night as we were recording this uh, on Thursday. Um, so that's probably a good result for us. But um, Fulham, it's, it's another step closer to trouble for them, isn't it? Because it's one of the more winnable games running out after Sheffield United. I think they've got some tough games coming up as well. Yeah, so the weekend, they'll have played us twice. They'll have played West Brom twice. They'll have played Sheffield United. Yeah. Twice, so it does depend on if winnable games twice. Yeah, if they can pull off some surprise results, just as. Um, you know, as as, uh, as those tough fixtures come up, then maybe that's that's the way to go. We'll have to see. Um, yeah. Well, Rob's just dropped off. I think he may have had to go for work. I'm not, whether that was a Wi-Fi thing, I'm not sure. But um, he, he might come back on in a second. I'm not sure. But if he hasn't, then thank you to Rob for joining us. Um, we can say, uh, Pete, do you have to go as well? Because we've got one more bit. Oh, there he is. I think he's coming back in. There he is. <laughs> Rob no, is okay. still with us. Yeah. yeah. I'm just. I'm, I'm putting. Yeah. I'm putting so we'll, we'll probably do one. The- Putting the Brighton above my work yeah. at the moment. <laughs> of course, that's the way it should as be. You, as, you, as you should. <laughs> so am I, but then I'm furloughed, so it's probably easier for me. But uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, we have got Rob back. Um, he dropped out for a moment there. But um, just to, to round off then for you, because I know you have got to go uh, now to get back to work, Rob. Um, so we've got your views on the game. Uh, how do you see things going for you moving forward? Uh, do you think Roy is going to get replaced in the summer? Um, I think every fan wants that to happen and we hope the board's got someone lined up. Um, there are murmurs coming out that he might be given an extension for one more season um, yeah. to oversee his transition, which I, I think will be a bit of a nightmare. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any point. That's a, really. No, no. Considering the squad's got to have a massive overhaul and he, he doesn't play the youth players. He just Any player that he's brought on has been forced through injuries. And he's, who he's would you sad. like if... If there is a change, who do you like from realistic options? Obviously, not Klopp or Guardiola. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the thing. No, no Palace fan can agree. Eddie Howe's been mentioned. Um, I'm not yeah. a massive fan. Um, he'll do a he'll do a job, but we've seen what he can do with a big budget and get relegated. Um, Sean Dyche has been mentioned, but they've got new owners, so I don't think he'll come. Um, he would be a bit a much better fit. Um, the other the other person's been mentioned is the Brentford manager, but they look like they could come up as well. So, yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. I wonder if actually Dyche, maybe that is why they might want to have Hodgson for another year to see if Dyche has a year to work out whether he wants to stick around in the new regime, whether they're actually going to put the money in they're saying that night. And it does sound like Burnley aren't going to have the massive transfer chest that they thought people thought they Mm. were. They basically kind of given the club massive debts, haven't they? Basically, when when buying them, so I'm not sure that Dyche want their own their own manager in next season. So Dyche might be quite a good time actually for him. I think Lampard's the other name that's been mentioned. which it, I think it could be a good fit for him because he's got a point to prove um, and he, he'll want to prove that at Palace. It will be a stepping stone, same as Gerard's been mentioned, but I can't see Gerard coming at all. But for both yeah. of them, it would be stepping stones to a bigger club. But in terms of bringing them, I mean, Lampard comes with Jody Morris, who's instrumental in bringing a load of players through to you. So I wouldn't be adverse oh. to that. It's just what wages he would command. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, anyway, situation to we were with Hutton in terms of you know a the type of football that we struggled with, but also the fact that he didn't play any youth players either. And and you know, Pross Potter was specifically brought in, I think, partly to well, obviously to change the style of play, but also to bring through young players. Which he, I mean, we've gone from being one of the oldest squads in the league to being one of the youngest. So it can yeah. be done in a space of quite a short space of time. But then obviously, Deboer shows that you it's also a risk as well if you change the style of play completely and do you know kind of change everything very quickly. Did did you turn um, Chris Talton towards the end or were you still happy with him? The last six months, I think the majority of the crowd kind of turned. We were dreadful that second half of the second season up. We were we won two games, I think, in the whole of whole of what well, the second part of the season and the football was frankly dire. We lost five at home to Bournemouth. We lost only Cardiff who were down there with us. We literally escaped survival basically because you guys won at Cardiff. So it, it was I think yeah. the majority of the fans had turned I think around the time of the five nil against Bournemouth or the two nil against Cardiff, or just, you know, we we had like a run of home games that were mostly winnable, and we won one of them. And yeah, yeah it was it was it was. I, mean, yeah, I think, ter- yeah. Sorry, I think there was there was a lot of love for for um for Chris, and um and I think that, but I think in the end, I mean, when when he got the sack, um, there wasn't many Brighton fans who there was plenty of people outside of Brighton who were surprised, but there wasn't many Brighton fans that was surprised. And I remember coming away from the Huddersfield game that we actually won one nil and just thinking to myself that I've just watched a dreadful game of football. And it felt like a little bit near the end, you know, he was playing safety first to keep us up. Fair enough. But it felt like a bit like capitulation. And, um, you know, and, and in the end, I think the, the chairman just decided that if he was going to, if he was going to give someone the budget, he was going to give it to someone new um, and they were going to, they were going to fit the mould of what he wanted to see going forward. It was a brave decision, but so far it seems to have worked. Uh, yeah, Rob. Well, yeah, I was going to say it sounds very similar to the, the Roy Hodgson thing. Um, mm. we, we're very that. much <laughs> well, no, we're very much stagnating at the moment as a team. It's mm. all right if you're losing games, but you can see what they're trying to do and bring blood in youngsters and stuff like that. But when you're just stagnating and playing terrible football, and um, I. It seems a really stupid thing, but you get all the pundits say, be careful what you wish for and the grass is not always greener. But I think Palace fans at the moment, they, they don't care. Even if it ends up getting relegated and we have to rebuild in the championship, people want to see good football. They want to see passion. They're, they're just hanging on by your fingertips or we're a bit more comfortable in that last couple of seasons. But just playing dull football, it's just, it's not enjoyable. Yeah, I think that's the one big difference is you guys are pretty comfortable, whereas we, I think the risk of us going down was actually bigger if we stuck with Hutton than replacing him, which 
obviously is kind of like takes away the main risk of changing manager, which is obviously it could be worse. But actually, I think we would have gone down the next season because he, things were so dreadful and he just didn't look like he'd, he knew how to change it, which has happened in other clubs he's been at as well. He's kind of in Norwich, I think he kind of struggled after a good, decent first season and didn't, couldn't turn things around. Whereas I think you guys, Hodgson does keep you up quite, quite comfortably. And that's the one thing going for him, I suppose. I think the other thing, the other thing that I see at Brighton at the moment with Dan Ashworth and and the kind of things that are coming out of the club is that there's a clear strategy there about investing in young players. Um, whether they make it to the first team or not, that's definitely a way forward that they've identified, I think, to try and give them a, an edge. And then they've recruited a coach who basically fits in with their philosophy. And, you know, you can see where the club's going. And it may, I mean, last season, it was a little bit, for a while, it was a bit touch and go. And for some fans this season, really, I mean, a lot of fans have only kind of come back on board since we've managed to keep a number of clean sheets and win three games. But for me, I can see where we're trying to go. And at the moment, I look at Palace and it's hard to see where it's going. It's like it's kind of stalled, really, and they've run out of ideas. And to have 13 players coming out of contract... You know, it just suggests to me that someone's either been sort of pontificating too much or actually it's been, you know, or hasn't seen it or just hasn't been able to make any real decisions because, you know, they, that, that just seems to be a position you really wouldn't want to be in. Yeah, I think as fans, we're kind of, we're kind of praying that there's a plan behind the scenes that, um, that we know what we're doing. We've identified a manager in the summer and we know who we want to bring in. Um, we've been concentrating on the ground and that doesn't seem to get anywhere. Sainsbury's are just holding out and blocking us rebuilding. The, the good thing we have done behind the scenes is got a category one um, with the youth teams and our youth teams are flying at the moment. The under 18s are way at the top of the league and smashing it. Under 23s aren't doing too bad. Under 16s are doing very well. We've got a load of England internationals in all of them. So the future looks good. Um, but at the moment we just, yeah, we haven't got a plan. We haven't got a manager that's willing to bring in players. Um, and you, you don't know how much to level that entirely at Roy um, because we're not filling our bench at the moment. So fans are asking, why aren't we bringing in the under-23s just to get experienced? But then that's all to do with the COVID bubbles. They're in separate bubbles. So you can't drag players in and out and put them back in teams at the moment. So there is an element of that. But yeah, you just hope there's a plan this summer. It, it, it's kind of like, it feels like a dead season for us from now on. It's just like, just get through the is season it, and it's all going to change. Is it the time to rebuild, though, in the summer where, as you can see from some of the club accounts, finances are going to be really tight and, and the usual money will not be there to you know, rebuild half a team or spend 10, 20, 30 million per player? You know, is it, is it going to be you're going to be just signing you know, out of contract players once again, potentially on big weekly wages? You know, you know that's not just a Palace question, that's across the whole board. So yeah. is the summer of transfers, you know, going to be very tight for the majority of teams? Probably the Man Cities will be spending what they want when they want. But, you know, the rest of us, are we all going to be, you know, not spending? And will that affect Palace into next season, possibly? I think yeah. you're right. It's a good point. But as I say, 13 players out of Palace haven't got a choice. They've got, they've got to spend or blood in youth. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting interesting well, summer, I think. So I'm going to I'm going to say that uh, Rob's cautiously optimistic of possibly pulling off a result. I think that's where you went, isn't it? I don't know if you've got any score predictions or not. Um, Andy would take a draw just because of where he lives. Uh, just just to take that now, just guarantee avoiding 
the hell that would follow. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go for the win um, in this one. I do think for once, actually, it might go according to the form book, which it rarely ever seems to do. Um, so I'm going to go for a three-one win. I'm sure we'll concede somewhere. I know I said three goals and and Brighton scoring them. I know that sounds unrealistic, but I think we're just in really good, confident form at the moment. And it might just click. So I'll go 3-1. And to the Peters, your predictions, what would you reckon? Are we going to get a result here? Uh, Pete first. Yes. Um, with with the absence of Zaha. And I didn't see the Burnley-Palace game. I saw the highlights and, and, and Palace looked very down, low on confidence yeah. at the back. And, you know, they were just standing around a little bit while Burnley picked them apart. I think it may continue. And I think we'll win 2-0. Okay, and Peter. I think it's down to the first twenty minutes. To be honest, I think if we we'll start well, we'll 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 put them under pressure early on, and if we get a goal, I think it could be two or three nil. If we don't, the longer it goes on nil nil, the more I fear that they can nick a goal somewhere. And yeah, like last or year, at least again, game, yeah. you know, and it and it ends yeah. up one nil with a slightly deflected goal or something like that. You know, I think if we get an early goal, I think we'll go on to win by a couple or three even. But if we don't don't get that early goal, then Palace grow into the game, get more confidence. Yeah. You know, suddenly it becomes yeah, well, half-time at nil-nil. And yeah, I I can just see it happening like it happened last year when we were, we had, uh, I mean, we, had, we cleared our own shot off the line. We had like countless chances <laughs> to win it. And then they they nicked it on the, on the counter. And it's, yeah, so frustrating. I can see that happening again if we don't, Getting a goal in the yeah. first three minutes. I think we've got to win some corners in the first five minutes because apparently it's, it's the first five minutes and set piece and corners in particular, isn't it? That you're vulnerable on, uh, Rob. So uh, nodding away there. So I, the, the, I, I'm to guessing. To be honest, you can pick any category and we're vulnerable on them at the moment. Not against. Can Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Nobody's vulnerable yeah. for corners from us. So. It's should I push game. you for a score? Do you reckon? Do you reckon uh, you put a score to it, Rob? I'm going for 2 0 Brighton, I think. Yeah, okay, okay. And uh, sorry, I cut you out, Pete. Uh, what were you saying? Yeah, I was just, just saying the game last year when we lost 1 0. Didn't we have more shots in that game than any other previous Premier League game as well? Isn't that 21 or 25 shots? I vividly remember Mope being offside and blocking Dunk's head over it, which was going, literally going in, and sat being offside and blocking it as well. I was like, Right, oh. front, like, pretty much right in front of me. And, like, <laughs> it's like, oh my god! It's, like, you just want to have one of those moments happen to you. Like, it's not going to be our day today, is it? And it wasn't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes, we will. We will have to wait and see. The game is on Monday, of course, Monday evening. Um, until then, we'll wait. We're on tender hooks, right? Wondering what's going to happen. So, um, can I just say we'll, we'll be doing a part three briefly. Um, Peter and I possibly, I don't know if anyone else will hang around for that, but uh, we'll be back with a, just part three to go through a couple of bits of footy news of note. Um, but at this stage, I know because you've got to go back to work, Rob, um, we'll say thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, sir. And um, maybe we'll get you on again uh, at some point in I don't know, the build up to the to next season's game um, when we're both still in the Premier League, I'm sure. Hopefully. Uh, I love you. <laughs> yep. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Thank oh, you. Good. good. Um, Pete, are you are you going to stick around for part three briefly, or do you have to go? No, I can stick around for part three. Okay, so we'll keep you on then, Peter. So, so for Rob, thank you very much. We'll take a short break. Back in just a moment. So here we are with the third and final part of today's pod. Now it's with me, Russell, with Peter. 
and Pete are still here and Andy Bravery as well. Um, just a few quick bits um, of news as well we'll come to in a moment. Just firstly, good to have Rob on. I think he was good value, wasn't he? And um, as we were saying off air just now, um, I think it was uh, I think it was you that said it, Pete, that uh, the clubs are essentially they do the fans do get on um, when you're just in an ordinary social situation because quite like minded peas in a pod, lots in common. Um, they're, they're both grounded and they've they've both got um, uh, more in common than out of common, haven't they? Absolutely, yeah. We're not we're not top top six clubs. We're not top six, you know, fan mentalities. We're just you know, as you say, we're grounded and, um, yeah. you know, and as much as we despise the Palace, you know, they do seem quite decent folk when we actually talk to them. Yeah, that's it. As every single year I want to do the... Being nice people. Yeah, well, I, 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 yeah exactly. You that's so hard to hate, you know. It's, it's pantomime villainy, ultimately, isn't it? Pantomime villains, pantomime hatred. Um, but we do love to do the double over them and finish above them every year. So if, if that can start happening soon, that would be quite nice. Um, on to a few bits of football news. I'm just, just starting with some real hatred that you probably noticed in the news. There's been all the social media stuff. Um, and although uh, Nketi has been racially abused um, in the last 24 hours, the hatred, um, the shift in the, well, the focus has gone to James McLean, hasn't it? Um, Stoke player. He's, I think he was fined over some sort of reactive comedy made um, in social media, but um, it's brought out news that he's actually been um, claiming eight years of abuse since he made a comment about not wearing a poppy in 2013, I think it is. Um, ever since then, sort of uh, there's a lot of anti-Irish stuff going on and he's been threatened with well, death threats, burning his house down with his kids in it, all sorts of horrendous stuff. Uh, it's the latest in a long line of, of grim things that are going on there. We've also heard that Granite Xhaka has been subjected to loads of hate mail on social media. And uh, and Bert Leno as well, uh, the goalie, who's um, someone has suggested he emulates a goalkeeping compatriot, a German player who killed himself. Some absolutely horrible stuff on there. Um, it's continuing a pace, isn't it? There's no, there's, doesn't seem an end in sight. I know, Pete, I mean, we haven't had you on before, so I don't know if you've got a take on any of this. Where, where do you stand with it? Do you, do you go on social media and... No, I'd I don't say you do that, but obviously, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's not me. Witness no. second hand, so to speak, only from only from what I see in the press. Um, mm. You know, I do see, you know, not in the football, but certainly in, in the politics. It, it's almost like whatever you write, somebody seems to take offence to it, or construe something out of it which isn't isn't quite right. Mm. You know, and obviously, you know, football players are. Uh, you know they're up there. They, you know, majority earn quite good money, I guess, at the top top of the game. You know, and it's easy easy for people to be keyboard warriors and just hide behind their keyboards. Um, and as you saw, you know, Brighton's taking a you know stand against it and trying to track these people down. You know, it, it is mindless. And no, I don't really understand why people would do it. Why would people hate certain people? you know, so much to, to threaten their livelihoods or threaten their families and things. I don't understand it. So um yeah. more important things going on in the world anyway, but certainly at the moment with all that's going on, why waste your time in, you know, in that sort of yeah, unpleasantness and that sort of thing and kind of I mean obviously it's not justifiable ever, but at the moment, you know, surely people should be kind of get joining together and kind of, you know, with all that's going all that's going on in the world, it just seems really weird. Mate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't yeah. I, you know, I don't understand I don't really understand why people would do it. On a, you know, if if you get the other isolated incident, then then uh, then that will happen. But but it just seems to be 
whether it's gaining press and it's always been there or it's happening more because people think it's, you know, fun or trendy or whatever word they want to attribute to it. Um, yeah, but I don't understand it you know, from, yeah. a, from a logical, people, level-headed perspective at all. In the subject of McLean, I think people have said it's, it's more xenophobic than racist, um, but still the same, obviously the same issues. I, I kind of think it is racist a bit as well because it's... Um, Okay, yeah, we're all from the Northern European white diaspora or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there is an undertone to it, you know, with the whole signs that used to be in windows, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs or whatever. You know, it kind of, because of that history of those sort of comments and those signs that used to be in windows and that sort of prejudice, it almost does feel a bit like there's a racist undertone of sorts. Um, well, I don't think it matters anyway. It's Not really matters, yeah. It's, it's, it's un it's vile anyway and yeah. and it's it, a lot of it is through people who've who've kind of undermined the whole notion of the poppy thing which is of course remembrance day remembrance of people that fought in the, in the wars in the past it's up to it's up to every individual whether they want to do that or not and if they want to express non-offensive reasons for that which i think he did do at the time i, I haven't got any problem with that at all um he's not saying people shouldn't do it he's not being i don't think it's disrespectful it's up to every personal individual um the fact is it's a long time back in time so it's it's very much a retrospective reflection if it is one at all i do wear a poppy um every year but um you know it's it's up to every every individual really and uh, i think certain people with certain agendas have jumped on that that bandwagon to um to push anybody that doesn't do that as anti-english and therefore you know I also think it's kind of whatever, tricky, isn't it? When we go go overseas to places, a lot of the time we don't. No one, people don't fit in with local cultures. A lot of the time, if they move to, you know, a lot of the time, British people stay with British people in areas and kind of don't really fit into the local culture at all. And yet, when people are over here, it's kind of you expect them to do the opposite. So it's like I don't understand the kind of the logic of people. Really, it's like you do exactly as we do, even whether we're over in your country or in our, and we're over here. It's like it does seem to me that. British people expect everyone to adapt to our way of life wherever we are, basically. Kind of, yeah. like, and this is an example of kind of. Yeah, there's no absolutely no reason why James McLean should have to wear, you know, the poppy. It's his choice that he do, he doesn't. That's up to him. He shouldn't get any abuse for it. You know, it's kind of yeah. yeah ridiculous. Well, anyway, moving on. EFL world. A couple of bits of news. Rob's Holden is the latest um, person to get the sack. Bristol City after a, well, rather unexpected 6-0 thrashing at Watford. Um, not so much the defeat, but the level of defeat. Watford not exactly free scoring before that. Um, Bristol City are in a dire run of form though, so he, he hasn't lasted anywhere near as long as Lee Johnson. But did you guys see what happened in League One at Portman Road in the Ipswich uh, match with Northampton? A really bizarre incident. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what did you make of that? Because Drysdale, Darren Drysdale, the ref, essentially seemed to have been provoked by something that was said by Alan Judge. That's speculative, but it seems to be the case. Um, right near the end of the game, um, after Judge had apparently simulated or potentially simulated foul in the box, um, and then they squared up, and looking at the footage, Drysdale effectively locks horns, so to speak, um, in the sort of way that usually often leads to a red card for both players, should any contact be made. I think it just about didn't didn't quite come to that but uh, what did you make of it overall it was a bizarre situation he's had to apologize for it and be reprimanded <laughs> obviously, obviously <laughs> I mean, it's not right obviously it's not right referees should always be impartial you know to you know to that sort of thing they should be the the man in control uh you know he did lose control momentarily but actually when you look at look at the footage in yeah. full at full speed 
it's hmm. it, it's it's less than a second. It's you know. So so part of me is like, yes, it's wrong, but is it is it the media making you know mounting out of a molehill again, a little bit? Yeah. I mean, the, the referee bit, has apologised because he probably doesn't yeah. have a choice really. But yeah. um, the slow yeah, motion the, thing is is. And all that yeah. sort of freeze frames and uh, yeah, it's the AR, isn't it? The picture, you know, the still picture in the media makes it look very um, wrong that it was a proper locking horns and you know the battle, but you know actually, but at full speed at fire the camera, it's it, you can barely notice it to be honest. So yeah, um, yeah, it's just the media perhaps overplaying it a little bit, you know, in a, in a heated make- heated game. Yeah, absolutely. What did you make of it, Andy? Well, at least it starts off a bit of a debate about the way that players talk to referees and why is it acceptable for them to say what they say on a football pitch, but not in society generally. I also think that, you know, a lot of the referees we have these days, they're, they're, you know, as referees, they're not the greatest, but I think we get the referees we deserve. And if you look back, even down at grassroots, the way that they get threatened and the way they get spoken to, you can see why a lot of decent referees will just drop out the game and then you're left with whatever whatever we're left with really and I you know I I think it's one area from sort of grassroots onwards that we could learn from rugby and have a bit more a bit more of um you know a a a more respectful way of addressing the referee on the pitch but it just seems to be so ingrained in football culture I can't I can't see it changing but um you know I, I just think he just he put his head forward a little bit Footballers do it all the time. All of a sudden, the referee's done it and everybody's up in arms. You know, I, I just think actually maybe we need to back the referees a bit more in those in those areas and, you know, and focus more about how we can help them in the decision making. Because that's the bit that they seem to be getting wrong, even with VAR involved. So actually, I think it's quite a good debate to start, personally. Yeah. In, in fairness to Alan Josh, he's come out and basically said the referee has apologised, but he didn't think he needed to. There wasn't really actually the need to apologise. He didn't think there was anything really wrong. He's just kind of so, mm. yeah, fair play to him in that sense or whatever. Obviously. Yeah, which sort of reflects what Pete said about it being a bit of a flash in the pan, yeah. instantaneous, nothing yeah. too much to it. But yeah, interesting talking points, certainly. Um, in other news, um, Southampton are making an annual event of losing 9-0. It looks like their uh, under-18s are getting into training of sorts. They're working their way towards it. They lost 7-1 to the Albion. Uh, for the Albion's first win of the Canada year, I think, at that level, uh, the 18s team. Mark Beard said that they show great mentality to emerge from the barren and injury-ravaged spell, um, of, uh, the biggest injury-ravaged spell of the season in this particular game. Uh, they came from behind to win it as well, so uh, that's one hell of a comeback. <laughs> the minute, didn't they, I think? In like, yeah, yeah 50, 50 seconds or something, wasn't it, to, to concede yeah. and then come back in style? I'd accept that on Saturday and on, on Monday night, you know, concede in the first 50 seconds and then score seven. I'd take that. Yeah, I'll take a 7-1. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the result I'm really predicting now. Yeah. I, can, I can now say now Rob's gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the only other bit I've got is uh, just news about um, the, uh, the Paul Barber, uh, the latest in a long line of good communications between the club and fans. He did a forum last night on Wednesday night. Um, just to update fans on a number of issues and really just to take questions. I don't know if any of you guys um, joined in with that. Um, Andy, I didn't see your your famous wallpaper making an appearance actually, but I don't know if you were tuning in. I was, did, did I was on it. I was on it. I was on it, Russ, and I was quite amused by the uh, the moment actually where you took control of it and uh, Paul Barber was put in the waiting room. <laughs> I was watching it. I just didn't. Um, 
I didn't really have a particular question. The closest I got to asking a question was whether he thought things like lateral flow testing might actually um, bring the fans back a bit quicker. But um, I kind of, I don't normally, I, I don't know, I've not normally joined into the kind of the fans forums that, that have been going on during the, the um, you know, past years. So I kind of got a little bit kind of amused and flummoxed by questions about how he was going to, uh, get Percy Towell in the team and why yes. are you worried about that? And who cares yeah, about that... the new football kit? I don't care about the new football kit yet, you know. Not yet. Um, no. And, you know, yeah, there were some, some of the other, some questions some of the other big worries. Yeah. I was quite amused by it, really. But um, I, th- yeah. I love the way that he dealt with it, though, because he, you know, he, he treated those questions with the same kind of respect as maybe someone like um, our own um, dear um, Raymond and his question. And you can see that, you know, like he's he's expects Raymond to be there, like almost like the man in the front of the queue with his question. And there was Raymond, you know, yeah, and, and was, a great one to ask as well about concussion and head injuries because it's a yeah. major debate at the moment in grassroots football about you know where that's all going to go. Um, so yeah, and obviously decisions are made at a high level on that as well. So it is a relevant question. Some of it, yeah, the, the things about the squad and the team, you think well, it's not really for Paul Parker to say quite, is it? We do have some characters on those things. And yeah. uh, the, the incident you're talking about is I, I went on and asked a question because he, he mentioned something about expand, expanding the stadium, which we've been planning to do. What I hadn't realised is we had actually been going ahead with that, which makes sense because with no fans going to games, it's easier to do. Um, so we're up to just under 32,000 now, apparently, at the stadium. Uh, they filled in seats in little pockets here, there and everywhere. That was part of my question, clarification on that. And the other bit was asking about churn and whether we've still got a lot of season ticket holders because we had 8,000. We've still got several thousand on the waiting list. And Paul's answer was that, you know, there's various people on there. Some will take up the first opportunity they get. Others will will defer until there's a, a spot in a certain area that they're looking for. But, yeah, when Paul Camelin tried to finish my part of the call and and then go to the next question he he, he moved Paul Barber instead of me so I was sitting there still on the line <laughs> and Paul was nowhere to be seen it was quite amusing um so I, I'll take your wages if you want Miss Barber if, uh, yeah, anyone uh, asking I'll... questions for us wasn't anyone you know kind of asking for asking for your thoughts on why Percy Tao's not in the team <laughs> I was going to answer the next question which was something to do with um the pandemic i can't remember what it was now but uh yeah that was fun um but it was interesting yeah that was it's always good isn't it we, we get these um these forum well, webinar as it was called um with, with with the club which is always good to see and um and now and just for reference the kit um yes they are thinking and looking ahead with what they're doing in a new kit but there's no news yet surprise surprise <laughs> um anyway i think that pretty much rounds it up anyone else got any points of Interest from this well, week so far. Ryan stuff that obviously kind of we didn't get a chance to talk about last time. The, the oh, that's true. Yeah, from that interview in Australia, and uh, yeah, the interesting kind of like all the kind of site backlash from certain aspects of social media and on North Stand chat at Ryan for that, which I think was pretty unfair, really. I mean, I think he he just said yeah, he said one or two things that maybe may have been better not to, but the abuse he got. And there yeah. does seem to be a lot of rewriting of history from certain people that Ryan was never that good for us and that yeah. sort of thing, which is completely untrue. And for me, for the last three seasons, he was one of our best players. And people, yeah. as um, often happens with football, forget that completely and just go on to kind of like, he was never that good anyway. Why, you know, we were, we were far better than you know, a bigger club now we were out him, that sort of thing. And I think yeah, really- and for, for what it's worth, it's, 
if anyone doesn't know, he, he had an interview with an Australian TV company, I think it was, and apparently some bits were taken out of context and then it got into social media. He has subsequently then put out a message on social media himself to redress the balance and to, to actually put a pretty nice message out to, to Albion fans saying, always have a piece of his heart with us, whatever happens next, etc. cetera. Uh, and Paul Barber has clarified that some of the con- some of the comments were out of context. He's had a conversation with him, I think, in the last day or two and, you know, things are very congenial still. What happens team-wise is to be to be found out, but uh, everything's still hunky-dory in terms of relationships, shall we say, um, from what he said anyway. Um, Andy? So um, someone posted on social media the, um, the link for the entire interview, which was about 30 minutes long on YouTube. Um, I found it on YouTube. And it starts with, um, so it's a Premier League feed and um, Opta or something was the company was a, a woman that was doing the interview. I mean, and she starts off by really talking about, you know, she sort of sets it up, you know, you're a big club now, you know, Arsenal. Um, she tells us and he confirms that, you know, as a kid, that was the team he supported was Arsenal. And the bit that seemed to get most fans going, and I thought it would do when it when it got out, was the bit about the stepping stone. But when you hmm. listen to what he said, what he really said was when he when he came, he saw, you know, he hoped to be playing in the Premiership. That would, you know, and that he would do well, and that maybe in two to three years, maybe there, you know, there would be a move to a bigger, you know, a bigger club, and Arsenal are a bigger club, you know, um, uh, from from for a fee, for a significant fee. And I think the point he was trying to make, slightly clumsily, was that in effect, really, that hasn't happened, and I don't actually think he he saw that happening, but somehow, through no fault of his own, because he's only looking at the loan to Arsenal because. Graham Potter, the gaffer, the manager, has kind of said in January, you might want to look at a move. He's found himself there anyway, albeit on, on loan. So it, when, you, when, when I kind of heard it that way, it, it sounded a little bit different, but you just knew that fans would jump on that, really. And, you know, I think that from the point of view of the manager, the manager, you know, some people are criticising him and his band manager. Well, from my point of view, he's been open and honest. He said that, you know, I'm probably not going to be playing you with the time Sanchez is um, fit and I'm not going to put you on the bench and you want to play football. January, as Ryan said, is never a good month for a transfer of a goalkeeper in particular, because usually get a goalkeeper in, it indicates you're either covering someone or you're really changing strategically what's going on, which I think makes Potter's decisions even braver, really, in, the, in, you know, in that context. And I think he, he had no choice but to look for another club. And it's not his fault that Arsenal come in for him, you know, and, and in some ways, you know, he's he is going to sort of look at some of the ways that they're going to be different to us. But he was asked questions again. He only really answered the questions that he was asked. Um, he never said anything disrespectful. He does really refer to Potter as he and on one occasion Gaffer. But I think he, you know, he probably feels a little bit hurt and a little bit hard done by because, as Peter said, really, he, he never really did much wrong. I think it's more about what Sanchez maybe gives gives us that that you know like around the you know claiming the six yard the six yard box um, and helping us at corners in a way that I just don't think Ryan can do. It's not that he cut, you know mm. that he, he'd done much wrong. He just can't do those aspects of the game. I mean, the, the interview went on and on. He starts talking about Mark Schwarzer and what a you know a role model he was for him, and then they talk about Australian sports people and tennis players. So the interview went on for quite a long. A long time, so I think in some ways, probably he, re- he reflected afterwards that maybe he was a bit too honest with some of the answers and needed to understand 
how they might get interpreted in Britain, back in Britain, and particularly in the um, certainly in the in social media press. But you know, I've got no problems with the man. You know, he's a great servant for us. Um, fans always loved him when he used to run the punt length of the pitch and jump on the um, the forwards and that when they scored a goal. You know, hmm. I, I I don't have a problem with the manager. And if I was the chairman, I think like I wrote somewhere else. You know, like you'd, you'd be clapping your hands as well. You, your manager's not going to play him. And I imagine he's on one of the bigger um, wages in the team. And you've offloaded that to Arsenal for half a season at a time when that looked highly unlikely to happen. So to me, everyone was winner hmm. in the end. You know, that's no, how I, I agree. And I, I take your point about, you know, I think maybe since Duffy's gone, we've not had that dominant, although we had issues at corners in the first season up a few, for a while. We, he was the one who in the air who was the most dominant in the air. And now he's gone because we want to play this different brand of football. We, you possibly need a keeper who is more dominant in their box, whereas Ryan got away with it because they had Duffy and Murray as well, to an extent, hmm. at defending corners um, before. But now we've not really... I mean, obviously, we're mainly playing Malpe up front, who isn't really you know, great. He's not brilliant in the hmm. air. And, you know, Webster and, and White are decent, but they're not, you know, in the air, but they're not as dominant as Duffy was when he was first, we were first up. Yeah. And, yeah, and you kind true. of, and you, you know, and as the keeper, you're, you're being told basically, it doesn't really matter how hard you train, all the time Sanchez is fit for the rest of the season, um, unless there's a massive drop in form, I'm going to play him. So what do you do? You know, and then Arsenal say, come along, be our reserve keeper. All right. Um, you know, but even if he gets to play in the Europa League, that puts him back in the window. And he's playing at Arsenal for a while, you know, which was his boyhood team. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits there, I think. Uh, just a couple of points from me. I think, first of all, he ran the length of the pitch to celebrate that Andoni goal against Palace, didn't he? Actually, I'm just remembering that. <laughs> that was quite amusing. Yeah, it was 3-1. 3-1, yeah. And the other thing is, mentioning Aussies, um, we, had, we had contact from someone with the same surname as you, Andy, didn't we? Who, um, who was surprised to find his surname, which is quite <laughs> a rare one, quite a distinct one, um, popping up on, on the pod. He's, he's, been, he's an Aussie fan called Jonathan. He's been a fan of the Albion just a couple of years, just... Um, uh, essentially, he was dabbling with who, who to support, but uh, interested in the Premier League in general. And and off the back of doing a family tree check, he's discovered his family tracks back to this uh, well, not this area, we're all in London, but uh, um, but to the uh, Sussex area. And um, yeah, he may be related. We'll have to wait and find out. Um, and, <laughs> and and to round off, to wrap it up, actually, one thing I've forgotten to mention, which I'll do just to finish off with, uh, Pete, as in Pete Richardson, Pete. You are. Um, I, I forgot to introduce something when we uh, when we introduced you. You are the reigning champion of the Seagulls over London competition we've been running called the Predictor, which is one of those online things predicting Premier League fixtures week to week. You won it the first two years, didn't you? So you are the current reigning champion. I think that's yes. right. Oh yeah. But yes. also, yeah. you'll probably have to tell me the other bit because I don't want to get it wrong. Were you something like the joint winner of the entire thing? And yes, internationally yes. speaking, I was, I was one, national, one of those years. I was national champion last year, joints with uh, <laughs> an, an, another guy. So, um, yes, I won the, the national title. Um, and that's out of how many? Predicting. Um, I can't remember about 10,000 people or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pete, Pete, did you get anything for that? Did you get a trophy or anything? No, no, I got national, national wise, no, nothing at all. Oh, okay. Um, just my name is my name name is on the top of the website for the, for the whole season, which is quite nice. And um, you know, every time I go in, it reminds me that uh, that I am the national champion. And when I look at the local league this year, uh, I'm not doing quite so well. So uh, yeah, so the, so the title's on the rocks. I, I'm speaking yeah, rocks. Got to be someone who wins it. So I mean, even fantasy football, you know, it's kind of like 
I think I'm like about two millionth in the whole of the whole thing or something. <laughs> but there, you know, there are people. There is someone presumably of the whole thing who's top, and it's like, you know, they must have a lot, less, you know, more time on their hands to tweak their team than I do. I think probably. Somebody has to. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about my um, my skills in that in predicting. It's just gut feel. It really is just gut feel. I did start off looking at some science into it in the early weeks of the first season. Found I was hopeless using science, so I just went with gut feel and I started rising up the table. And then um, that's, yeah. that's been my approach, really. That's well. I, was said... were, I was wondering whether you were following, particularly when you said that about Bobby Smith, whether you were following the bookies or something and going with the odds and you know analysing all the odds every week, but clearly not. No, no, just, just gut feel. I did look at the bookies when I started and I thought, okay, bookies have got some you know computers and sophisticated modeling and ex-pros you know inputting into what they think the result could be but um i gave up on that after about three weeks and just went with gut feel <laughs> and that was better than than what the bookies were which probably explains yeah, well, when you when, when you bet you'll tend to you will tend to lose so mark um, Lawrenson does uh, does it on gut feel as well according to what he said on our show and um He's, it's not working out so well for him uh, by the looks of it in terms of well not the albion games anyway um so but no, that is that is quite an achievement. To be fair, I know it's all just sitting and sitting at home, banging some scores into a, a computer or a, a phone. But nonetheless, it's uh, quite an achievement to be top for the whole country or beyond. Um, yeah, to, to win it, impressive. to win it at the end. Yeah, and I was top throughout the lockdown as well. So I was top for you know probably about six months. Oh, yeah. You know, which is <laughs> quite an honour. But um, you know, I was yeah. this year. You know, because of the strange results early. In the early part of the season, I wasn't sort of doing quite so well. But, you know, I've noticed that I was 30 points off the lead. Now I'm only sort of 22. So I am starting to come back. And there's, I think there's just enough games left to make it a real close run thing. You know, and I think I'm eighth or ninth or something at the moment. So there's a few people in front of me. So uh, anyone in the top top 12 still has a chance, I think. So um, Is that your message, yeah. Pete? You know, I'm coming for you, anyone above yeah. me. Uh, no, I'm, I'm coming uh, for you now. I'm, gonna, I'm going for three in a row. I'm, I'm doing the Alex Ferguson interview just before the Kevin Keegan response from the people <laughs> yeah, at the top. Whoever's top apparently is going to be like, you know, we've got to play them soon. And you know, I would love it if I beat him that week. Exactly. Yeah. I would, I would, right. I would love Martin. it if I beat Pete. You know, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not going to be trying at the top now. Not, you know, I'm going to be trying harder on the predictions than them. And, you know, I'm going to just going to put I'm going to put some nerves into some people here. <laughs> Love it, brilliant, and, and we know some of them are listening to this as well, so it's going to be quite fun. Okay, brilliant. Well, Pete, thanks for joining us. It's been an excellent debut, I think. I think you've done well, and um, we'll love to have you back at some point as well. For sure. Yeah, love to love um, to come back. Love to come back. You enjoyed it, hopefully. How was it? Yeah, it's been, it's it's been quite great a long fun, one, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been great fun. Yeah, obviously, there's a uh, you know some, some more more stories to, to come out. I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. You know, the thing I was worried about was the quiz, which we did, didn't get time for today, where I could show that I, I could could be bottom of the table in the quiz. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, you bring, you'd have to bring me back in the summer for, for a quiz. Yeah, we haven't done, to, we, yeah, we haven't done to, one for this season, but we might do a summer special, I think, a, a little batch of uh, episodes, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah they're quite I've good. I've got a few ideas in mind. Quite good doing them, you know, when you're sort of sitting there listening to the questions and sort of, you know, how many would I score in this round? And, you know, yeah, that's and, it. And your you questions are it. quite tough. <laughs> uh, well, I sort of I normally answer them or can't answer them. Either you know, or you don't know sometimes, but so, yeah, true. Um, yeah, some the of questions them are, quite, are easy if you know them, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, some, some of your yeah. questions are quite tough as well. So, 
<laughs> oh, good, good. Okay, I look love forward it. to that. I've still got I a list of that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, thanks. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Thanks, as always, to Andy and to Peter. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Let's hope it's a pleasure on Monday when we're playing Palace. Um, we're looking forward to that one. Let's hope we can get the result. We would more or less safeguard us, wouldn't it, if we, can, if we can win that one? We'll see. So, in the usual way, then, we'll round off by simply saying, stand or fall. Up the Albion. <laughs>